You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. The Lord's been speaking to me a lot of different ways. You know, a lot of times I, I give messages on how to hear the voice of the Lord and how He's speaking to us and all this. And, and as we went to Cracker Barrel last night, the Lord spoke to me. It was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. You go to Cracker Barrel and the Lord spoke to me. And I'm just observing We've got a huge line waiting to give their names and, and get uh, at the hostess station and then be seated at a table. And there's nothing but empty tables in Cracker Barrel. I mean, there's, if there's 33% occupied, you know, it's, I'm, I would be surprised. And there's a group of men in front of us and there's four of them. And when they get up and, and the guy looks back and, it sounds like she might have told them that there's going to be a wait, and they looked and they said no, and they left. Then it was our turn too, and she, they took us right in, seated us, and I thought, what's going on? You know, because the table we're at with two could hold four easy, but don't don't know what's going on there. That wasn't really what the Lord was saying to me either. <laughs> but but as as I was looking at this, it was like, Lord, what's going on? And it's like the harvest is plentiful, but there's few laborers. And he took me right back to that that place in, in Mark where it's a call to pray to the Lord of the harvest for more workers for the harvest field. And the reason why Cracker Barrel was the way it was isn't because they didn't have the food, they didn't have the cooks, they didn't have the servers, and my precious friend Mary was the only one at the cash register. And it's like, because of, of the lack of, of workers, and you'll see this everywhere, in the restaurant business, wherever you go, it, it's almost like it's, it's more profitable not to be employed than to be employed these days. And as a result of that, everywhere we go, we see that there is restriction based on the lack of workers. And I thought, oh, and it just takes my heart right back. Lord, we need more laborers in the harvest field. Because yeah. truly, the, the harvest is ripe. It's, it's the right time to be sharing. And so we're going to look at that as we tell the story of Jesus through the Gospel of Mark still in chapter one, <clears throat> as we look at those things. But then the Lord spoke to me as I looked at my lawn. And there's my lawn. You can't quite see it the way I, I was hoping you could see it. And I do have uh, a member of the Homeowners Association with us today, so I might get flagged. It's like the weeds are really doing well in my yard. It's like the greenest thing growing are the weeds. And it's like, ah. and, and I looked at that and I started to get discouraged. I thought, you know, we pay for a lawn service. We should not have these weeds in, in our yard. What, what's going on with that? And as I was looking at the weeds, I, I, I just felt like the Lord was just saying, you know, that's the way we often look at reality. 
in our world. We see all the weeds. And it seems like, you know, if you got a little mini drought going, uh, we haven't had rain in a little while, it's like, ooh, the weeds really become prominent. They, they take center stage. The only reason I need to cut my lawn is to trim down the weeds. Uh, the grass isn't growing. But I, I just heard kind of in my spirit, the Lord just saying, the rains are coming and the grass will grow. And I know that's good news for Rick Baumgartner because he loves to cut grass. <laughs> and so we, we know that there's gonna be a time. And, and I heard one lawn expert say, the best way to keep weeds out of your lawn is to have a healthy, have healthy grass. When you got a foundation of healthy grass, it keeps the weeds from being able to, to penetrate and, and begin to attack. So I was encouraged, a couple little exhortations, free of charge, now we'll get into the sermon. Mark chapter one, beginning at verse 14, out of the New International Version. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly, come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and he came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought, Jesus, brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Let's pray. Father, we ask that we would have 
Hmm. Once again, eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Prepare our heart to receive your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I can't do everything that I did last week, but we, we ended last week with verses 14 and 15. And that's where I wanted to pick up this week. As, as we look at Mark's gospel, it's the briefest gospel of all the gospels that we have in the Bible, in the New Testament. And it, it, it's, it's going at a very fast pace. And through chapter one, we're going from the announcement from the Old Testament that the Elijah figure, John the Baptist, was going to show up and prepare the way. And now Jesus comes and fulfills that. He's baptized, and we see the threefold affirmation that we looked at last week comes upon him, and he goes into the wilderness. He does the temptation of the evil one for 40 days and 40 nights, fasting with the angels and the wild animals. And then... It says, after John was put in prison, the forerunner had accomplished his purpose. The prophet had come and set the stage and brought a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And now the way, way was wide open. And now as John is in prison, Jesus, having been baptized, having dealt with the enemy for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, he now comes on the stage and he says, it's time. It's the right time. It's the perfect God-ordained time for the kingdom of God to come and be manifest among you. This is the way uh, the Passion puts it. His message was this. At last, the fulfillment of the age has come. It's time for God's kingdom to be experienced in its fullness. And the thing I love about the Passion Translation is I, I would underline experience. It's not time to be theologically discussed. It's not time to write a, a, a thesis paper about the kingdom. It's time for the experience of the kingdom, to experience what the kingdom authority is really like. So he says, turn your lives back to God. They belong to him anyway. So give it back to him and put your trust in the hope-filled gospel. No doubt. Hmm. So this becomes kind of the mission statement. It comes out, it's, a, it's announced, it's about the kingdom, and now we see what happens. How do you practically fulfill this mission statement? Well, the first thing you gotta do is you gotta get some followers. It helps if, if someone's following with you. There can be a lot of revolutionaries that are just leading one thing by themselves and you never hear of them. But Jesus goes about and he finds Simon and Andrew and as they're working on their nets and they're fishing and all that kind of stuff, he calls them and he says, follow me. And there's something about just the authority in the, in the sound of his voice that when you hear your name spoken by him, it touches your heart. And when you know that he's looking at you and he sees you and he addresses you and he says, follow me, man, Simon and Andrew, there was no debate. They got up and they followed him. 
Now, if you haven't seen The Chosen, I highly recommend it. Some of their portrayal of how all this happens is just, just fun, just absolutely moves my heart when I see, you know, Jesus as a human being walking and talking to his disciples and calling them. And, and uh, you know, there's an integration of all the gospels that go into their storytelling. And it's, it's really good. So if you haven't seen that, look it up. It's really, really good. So the practical steps, he calls them to follow. And we need to be in a position that we can hear his voice. We find that as we, as we walk in our walk with, with Christ, it's not a, a, a church, it's, it's not a religion, it's a personal relationship with Jesus. And to keep it a personal relationship with Jesus, then we have to continue to be face to face and in touch with Jesus so that we can hear his voice when he says, turn this way or go that way or, or hear my word to you. And, and we hear it inside and we say, okay, Lord, I, I recognize that that's you. You want me to, and, and then you obey. You follow the call. That's the problem with religion. We get our list of do's and don'ts, and as long as we're following all the things that we're not supposed to do, we think that we're doing the right thing. But you can do, you cannot do all the not do's and still not hear his voice of what he's saying, I want you to do this. So he calls his disciples, and as soon as they get together, he gets James and John, and so there's four of them, and immediately we see that Jesus is starting to get his cluster, and he goes straight into the synagogue, and we get a, an account of what happens when he goes in. And he goes in and he teaches, and it just blows the people away. They've never heard. The, the, one translation says they were amazed. They never ever heard anybody teach like this. And, and the thing that's so amazing about the way that Jesus taught was with his words was also demonstration. And so we get exhibit A. And as, as, he, as he teaches in the synagogue, the realm of darkness knows who he is. And so there's a man who is demonized and he cries out. Look, look what he says. He, he, he's crying out and he says, have you come to torment us before the time? You know, it's like, you know, it's really interesting that as human beings, we'll fight about end time theology and how things are gonna go down. <laughs> but the demonic realm knows exactly what's happening. And they know that when the Messiah comes and there is the introduction into the earth of the kingdom of God, God's rule, they know that at some point in this rule, they're in big trouble. And so this poor demonized guy, you know, every, everybody else can teach and nothing happens. But when Jesus teaches, the authority that he carries and the person who he is, when he teaches, demons manifest. <laughs> and so this demon cries out and he knows who he is. He's the Holy One of God. Hmm. Now, as, as a teenager, when I was reading this passage, it was just like, man, I thought these people are so stupid. You know, 
the crazy demonized guy gets who Jesus is and nobody else is able to recognize who he is. What's wrong with this picture? But then you realize that the people were pretty much moving in a natural realm and the poor guy that had this demonization, had this evil spirit inside, he had something in him that was attuned to the spirit realm. And so he knew who Jesus was. He knew through another realm that this was the holy and anointed one of God. And so he, he cries out. And Jesus tells him to be quiet, because my mom taught us that we can't say shut up. But in the Hebrew, it's shut up. <laughs> he, he speaks with authority and stop and come out. Just that simple. And the guy convulses and screeches and, and the demon departs. Now, how many would like to have a little more added to the scripture of then what happened? What happened to all those that were sitting around this guy? You know, what happened as, as Jesus and him connected what took place? It's not in the text. We don't know. But we know something of the Lord. He just doesn't do a random thing and just move on. That there would, there would be some attention. There would have been something there to help. No doubt he was probably get, extended an invitation to follow. I don't know about you, but if I... I well, I have. The enemy, the Lord has knocked out a lot of the enemy out of me. And as a result, I want to follow him. I want to know what's next. Where are we going from here? And so where do we go from here? Let's go to Simon's house. And so now they move to Simon's house. But first, we've got a verse that kind of sum, summarizes the people's re reaction to uh, the crowd was awestruck and kept saying among themselves, what is this new teaching that comes with such authority? With merely a word, he commands demons to come out and they obey him. So the reports about Jesus spread like wildfire throughout every community in Galilee. Now, one of the things that as, as a student of scripture, you start to notice contrast. You know, as a result of what happened here with this demonized person, it's just, it's moving like wildfire throughout the communities, throughout the, the area. And remember, it's after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee. So it's this whole province of Galilee that, that's being infiltrated by the kingdom of God. And so the demon does this, Jesus teaches, and it has such an impact on him that the word gets out. Word gets out. So we have one person who has, a, has a, an evil spirit that gets free from the evil spirit. And now we go to another one person event. Mind you pay attention, one person. We go to Simon's house and there his mother-in-law is sick with a fever and is in bed. And they tell Jesus about her. One of the things that we understand, especially you know, as, as we continue to grow in this, is that healing comes out of compassion. 
Jesus is first moved with compassion. As a result of that compassion, he reaches out and he touches and he heals, he delivers, he frees. And so out of the, his compassion for uh, Simon's mother-in-law, he goes and takes her by the hand. Now, in case you're trying to get a formula for how to do healing, you're really out of luck because he does it different almost every time. And then this time he takes her by the hand and he lifts her up. According to the account in Mark, he doesn't say anything to her. Your faith has made you well. No, doesn't say that. He doesn't say go and wash in, in the pool, uh, put a cold compress on your forehead and you'll be... He just takes her by the hand and lifts her up and she's healed. And before they realize it, she's healed not just to where she's, you know, can start taking a little bit of water, you know, some, no, she's serving. She's attending to the needs of all those that have come into the house. Now that tells me, if I read between the lines, that it wasn't just uh, the beginning of a healing. Now this is good, in a couple days you'll be back to normal. No, she came right back to normal, instantly from a fever to normal and was serving. I don't know about you, but when I've had fevers, and I've had some fevers, and they break, oh, I feel so, so thankful that they broke, but I am exhausted. There is no energy to go out and start making supper for Debbie. No. It's like, wow. So we got these two incidents, the man in the synagogue and now Peter's mother-in-law, Simon's mother-in-law, boom. And so we get those two. Here, still in chapter one, after we get our mission statement, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. And so now we get to here and it's like, wow, this is going well. <clears throat> what I find here is that when Jesus shows up, his kingdom is with him. And when his kingdom shows up, the rule of the king is present. I don't know about you, but I like to get as many different things underneath the authority of the king as I possibly can. And so when, when you find that you're in a situation that in the natural realm needs a supernatural solution, it's good to invite Jesus to come and let the rule of his kingdom now take a priority over all other authorities in the situation and to release the power of his name, the power of his kingdom into the situation. I find that the, the encounters that we have, like if we're just going through the day and we're just kind of on autopilot and all of a sudden something catches our attention and we realize it's the Lord, take note of that. Every time you get a tap on the shoulder by the Holy Spirit, every time the Lord flashes someone's situation before you, know that the Lord is now giving you an invitation to come into his kingdom. It's an invitation to now to come and, and to exercise the authority of his kingdom in that situation. 
So a lot of these times, you know, we, we have these thoughts and we're thinking, oh man, where'd that thought come from? It could be coming from heaven. It could be coming from the Lord. It could be like, oh Lord, how do you want me to partner in this situation according to your purposes, your redemptive purposes for this situation? And so take that. It's an invitation into his presence and it's in his presence that we then encounter everything that we need to make the transformation. A lot of times I look at it this way. When I, when I am aware of his presence and that his kingdom's here, it's almost like I, I puncture the membrane that's kind of over me, that wants me to continue to stay the way I am and to see the way I see. And it's like all of a sudden I get, I get a, a God-given incentive inspiration to see differently. And it's like a little pinprick. And I don't know what kind of membrane you've got around you. I keep praying that mine keeps getting thinner and thinner and thinner. I went to childbirth class with Debbie at our first child, second child, and third child. So I understood something about effacement. So I'm praying for the effacement to get thinner and thinner so that delivery can come. New life can be released. And so as, 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 as the Lord gives me one of those and I just take it as, a, as just a, a, a kind of like an ice pick, I poke into the membrane, membrane and now some, sometimes we're pretty stretched pretty thin and it's kind of like, okay, it's like blowing up a balloon and it's the last little puff that before the explosion and it just blows up. But sometimes it's, it's like we're perforating something, like Rick does his pancakes and his waffles. He loves to take his fork and perforate all around the top so that the syrup can go down deep inside. You gotta eat breakfast with Rick B as often as I do, you, you know these things. <clears throat> but it's the perforating it's the perforating, and sometimes you, you take one poke and nothing happens. And the enemy says, see, you don't have any power. You don't have any power to pray over this situation. You have, you have no authority. You better call Linda. You know, it, it's, it's like, okay. But what you've got to do is by faith and poke again. And poke again. And keep poking until all the perforations weaken the membrane and you have breakthrough. And that's the kind of breakthrough that I love that the kingdom of God does. To break through my attitudes towards someone or towards something or even towards myself, but continue to take what the Lord gives you and use it as a weapon Use it as something that is God-given to inspire you to poke and to press and see if we can get through to where we see what he's really pursuing in the fullness. So I love that. More piercings, Lord. Blow up the balloons. Let the membranes that is, that is holding your children back because Cracker Barrel needs more servers the kingdom needs more workers. Amen. Mm -hmm. When the kingdom 
presence is there, there will be opportunity for breakthrough. Opportunity. You still have to take the weapon that he gives you and poke, <laughs> pierce the darkness. So the mother-in-law is healed, and then Mark changes from going from individual specifics. Now after the healing of the mother-in-law, he goes into the general and the many, from one to the many. And it says <clears throat> that after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. Also, he also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And so as we, we go from the one, we zoom in on the demoniac in the synagogue, and then we zoom in on Peter's mother-in-law, and then it goes into a wide range. And it just says, and as a result of what took place, the word's getting out, and the whole town is at Peter's house. And Jesus healed many. That's the kingdom. And he drove out demons, many demons. Now that's really interesting stuff. That's kingdom activity there. It's not just one person getting a miracle and one person getting a healing, but now because of Jesus' presence and the inauguration and the releasing to the earth through Christ, the kingdom, the eternal kingdom of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it has been released. And now there is authority over sicknesses and diseases. There's authority over the kingdom of darkness. And we see it manifested the rest of the book the rest of the book. So be good students, read ahead, look on through. There's gonna be an interesting twist at the end of chapter one, but continue that. But we'll end today at this point. There's many healings and deliverances, but the demons were not permitted to speak because they knew who he was. Why wouldn't he let the demons speak? He wants people to speak. Right. That's our privilege and honor of speaking of who Jesus is. That's the glory of man. That's the wonder that is given to us. We don't want them to speak for us. We want to speak. And so the, the gospel continues. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.